Hi, everyone. Welcome to Better Hiring, a podcast by Workable. As a marketing manager at Workable, if there was one thing I had to choose as my absolute favorite part of my job, it would be learning from the folks who are challenging the status quo and moving the recruitment industry forward. That's why we're here today. This podcast is a space for the leaders who are driving this progress to share their real, honest experiences in overcoming challenges and moving the hiring industry forward. And of course, to bring you the latest tips, trends, and strategies to help you find a path to better hiring. In this episode, we revisit an expert DEI webinar panel hosted by Kelly Patterson, Workable's UK account management team lead in October of 2020. Developing a sustainable DI strategy came with a lot of questions for our DI experts. Who should own that strategy? How should they carry it out? What are the DI action items? What are the target metrics? How do you measure those metrics? And so on. In this episode, you'll get all your answers. Let's go ahead and jump in. Cool. So we're, we're going to get stuck with Blackpool. As you know, we are here today to discuss how to approach diversity, equity and inclusion in our organisations. There's certainly been a lot of movement in this area due to today's current social and political climate, specifically the Black Lives Matter movement. But it's important to remember that diversity and inclusion is a long-term game. So over the next hour, our expert panel is going to focus on tangible actions we can take to foster a more inclusive, safe environment where everyone can bring their full selves to work. And most importantly, how can we make it sustainable? We here at Workable are learning ourselves, so I'm incredibly excited to talk with our impressive panelists about this subject. So let's begin with a few introductions. Um, Chika Ray, will you go ahead and start us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about your organisation? Yeah, definitely. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name is Chika Ray Ibokwe. I'm based in London and I am an executive recruiter. And I am also a diversity activist. I live, sleep, diversity. It's something I'm super passionate about. Um, I currently recruit mid to senior level HR professionals into all sectors. I work for an organization called Macmillan Davies. Um, I also run a community called Allyship. That's www.allyship.co.uk. Um, and the idea is to bring together our community of allies into a safe community and ensure that they can talk about issues that are affecting them today. Um, I think the in terms of 2020 has been one of those years that has been quite, um, you know, a worrying year for us all in terms of COVID, in terms of Black Lives Matter. And as I said before, many times that, you know, we'd really be talking about race if it wasn't for COVID. I think, you know... 2019 and the years before when we spoke to speak about diversity and inclusion it has always been gender um sexual orientation rightly so and i guess what 2020 has done it really has brought race into the forefront so i'm really really excited to be speaking to you all today thank you awesome thanks chica Ray. over to you siobhan Hi, um, my name's Siobhan. Um, I'm the Inclusion and Diversity Lead at White Hat. 
White Hat is a tech startup with a social mission to develop an outstanding alternative to university um, and ensure that there are a range of routes into kind of top workplaces. And we do that through apprenticeships. We have a really specific focus on diversity as well and ensuring our apprenticeships are accessible to all and that we are developing um, the diverse workforce of the future. Um, my remit both covers ensuring that we are kind of creating an inclusive community um, for our apprentices, both in terms of our education and apprentice outcomes. Um, and also that we are internally really reflecting on our workforce as a startup and who has access to our startup. So both kind of an internal and an external um, diversity and inclusion lens. Perfect. Thanks, Sean. And last but not least, over to you, Sean. Morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. I'm Sushant Shansi. Uh, I'm a partner at the Peak Collective. Uh, a bit about my background. I've been working in the people space for about 13 years now. Uh, started off in agency recruitment. I worked for four years, then moved to the BBC, where I uh, worked in recruitment for uh, within tech. And uh, by the time I left there, I was in charge of all digital and tech recruitment across all of the BBC's UK sites. Um, and did a bit of television recruitment there as well. Then moved to the government digital service, helped them transform how they did recruitment in the civil service. Uh, and then I joined uh, a startup called Bonfido, um just before Series B. Scaled them from about 50 people to 250 people uh, across seven global um, locations. Um, and then last year I joined the People Collective as a as the partner uh, and essentially what we do is uh, all of us use our skills and experiences and badges and, and our scars as we say, um, helping startups and scale-ups um, learn from our uh, experience. Um, and so yeah, diversity is something that uh, fully aligns with my personal values uh, and so by proxy I've always been in charge of um, diversity, uh, equality and, and inclusion um, kind of uh, initiatives wherever I've worked. So, uh, yeah, some things like you very much have on uh, close to my heart. So, thanks, Sushan. Um, so now that we've met our expert panel, what will we be addressing today? Um, so firstly, we're going to look at taking action in 2020, um, what, how companies are making a stand and what can they do. Um, then we're looking at diversity and inclusion in the recruitment process. Um, so looking at how do we source our candidates, how do we manage them through that process, and then how do we actually make them feel included once they join the business. Um, finally, we'll touch on making a business case, whether that's you need to speak to your leadership team and how to get them bought in um, to DNI, or if they're bought in, where do you start? What are the first steps that you can take um, as individuals in your organisations to start the process? Finally, um, we will save some time at the end um, for q and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions off the back of this. Feel free to make a note of them as we go through um, and drop them in the chat and, and we'll address them at the end. Um, so it looks like a lot of people have some initiatives in place, um, but actually quite a big part of the group are interested, um, but they haven't done anything yet um, and don't know where to start. Um, so I don't know um, if Chikare, if you have any comments on this, and of course, Sushar and Siobhan, we can come to you, to you as well. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Kelly, so much. Um, you know, diverse inclusion is really, really important. And as a recruiter, hiring manager, you know, you really have 
um, I guess, a chance to really shape the way your organization is. Um, as a recruiter, I feel, you know, I have an amazing, amazing opportunity to ensure that the organizations I recruit for have got a diverse, um, you know, talent pool of candidates that I send to them. And as I said before, you know, when we speak about diversity and inclusion today, I really do feel it's different from when we spoke about it last year. You know, today we're talking about race and race is such a difficult topic to talk about. And I think the issue is lots of people feel really, really uncomfortable. In the market I work in, I work in the London market and I walk around London and I see a ready-made talent pool. But when I go into tech companies or fintech companies or financial services companies, I very rarely see people who look like me or look like Lashan or look like Siobhan. And it's a case of, you know, what is happening? Why don't we have representation? Um, you know, a lot of the times you see it at the lower level, but not so much, you know, as you go up through the organization. So it's quite interesting looking at your poll that people have got some initiatives in place. But when we look at diversity, what I would like to know from everyone is, you know, you know, yes, we, we, you know, we look at the gender side of things. We look at sexual orientation. We look at disability, you know, but do you guys look at race? And, you know, what are you, what is everyone going to do to actually tackle that issue? Um, so for me, it really, really is an important issue that we need to keep talking about. I think there's lots of performative actions. So, for example, you know, we, you know, we saw what happened to George Floyd and the whole Black Lives Matter movement has been really prominent this year. You know, we've seen lots of organisations putting out solidarity statements, putting out black squares. And, you know, I'd like to ask all of you, it's a case, is it just performative? You know, are you taking action? You know, what is actually going on? Yeah, thank you, Chikre. And, and Zishan, do you have anything um, to add there in terms of um, what our audience have said they're seeing in their businesses? Is that what you've seen uh, similar across companies you've worked at previously? Yeah, and I think, um, as, as Chikre was saying, the, 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 the door's kind of ajar now. The conversation is happening. Um, and rightly, a lot of people are like, okay, well, what's next? Like you see in, in the football the, the, the players and well, all the staff taking me and yes it's got awareness there but now now we're at a point of what, what's next what's the action what's the tangible change going to be as well so uh, and that's hopefully what we can get a few starting points mm -hmm. in the innovation Perfect, thank you. Um, and Siobhan, I'm going to direct um, our first question um, towards you on that note. So you mentioned there's a Sean um, football, you see players taking a knee. Um, diversity, equity, equity and inclusion are a lot of buzzwords. Um, but what does this actually mean if you take it into a workplace? Um, how does that work at White Hat, Siobhan, and, and what does it mean to you? So kind of very short definitions. Diversity is about representation. It's about who has access to your company and who doesn't. And it's important to look at that both in teams and in every level of the organization. And um, sometimes you, if you just look at the aggregate data, you can think that your organization is, is pretty diverse. But actually, once you cut that by level or by different teams, you find that there isn't kind of distribution of that diversity. So that question for me is really about representation. And that's something we're really working on at White Hat as well. And then inclusion is much more around whether somebody can bring their whole selves to work and still feel like a crucial part of that company. Um, can, can they do their job to the best of their ability? 
whilst still being themselves? Or is there kind of a cultural mould um, that maybe is explicit or implicit that you have to fit in order to be successful in that company? And that really squashes out diversity of thought and can make your organisation a place that people from um, di a diversity of backgrounds just don't want to work at or you have um, kind of issues with retention. Um, so you really do have to get both that representation, diversity piece right, and that inclusion piece right. And it's perfectly um, possible that you can have one without the other. Um, you can have a workplace that feels very inclusive to the people that are there, but your representation is quite poor. Or you can have a workplace that's very diverse, but actually lots of people from different groups don't feel very included. So it's, it has to be a kind of two-pronged approach. Thanks, Siobhan. Um, and, and on that note, um, picking up on representation, um, Chikare, one of the things you mentioned um, was that historically we've looked at kind of gender, sexual orientation in terms of diversity, but race isn't something that's been touched upon much um, until the Black Lives Matter uh, movement this year, when obviously it's come to the forefront. Um, from your perspective, you mentioned race can be a difficult conversation to have in, in the workplace. Have you got any advice uh, as to how businesses could start approaching this topic, having open conversations, and then actually um, making change to ensure that their organisations are more diverse and have representation from different races? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the issue that a lot of organisations are facing is the fact that they just don't have that representation within the organization how can you talk about race if you don't have any representation if you don't have people who look different from you how do you know how to talk about it and i think that's the issue that a lot of organizations will say are, are really having and a lot of the hiring managers a lot of the recruiters you know i think the key the, the issue that I, I i see all the time is that people tend to hire the same type of people and um, you know um i guess you know there's lots of referral schemes so for example if you have everyone who looks alike within the organization you will find you know that they continue to hire people that look like them and i have spoken to lots of organizations recently about race because i do an allyship course so if anyone's interested please do let me know and the issues they've all come up with is you know that they all find it very uncomfortable speaking about race because they've never had to speak about race before. You know, I think, you know, you know, I, you know, it's obvious that I am a black female, you know, with a very foreign name. So for me, talking about race is something that I have lived through every single day. I walk out the door and it's obvious that I'm a black woman, you know, and I think the issue that a lot of organizations are having, it's very performative in terms of, you know, them, talking about oh we're going to do this we're going to do that but it's a case of do they actually do it because nobody wants to talk about it and I think until we have that um inclusion and representation within an organization um I think it would be very very difficult to talk about the differences or to talk about you know hiring different types of people in terms of their race and their and their I guess religion and all the rest of it but I think we really need to have an open and honest conversation about hiring black, brown, you know, people that don't particularly um, look like you. And I think, you know, training is definitely something that a lot of organisations need to have. We need to start having that conversation. We need, organisations need to start, you know, training their staff, training their hiring managers. And, you know, you know, I think Siobhan mentioned 
um, you know, representation and inclusion. To me, it's also belonging. So it's all jolly well and me working with an organisation, but do I feel like I belong there? You know, when I look at the C-suite, um, you know, um, um, individuals out there, can I see people that look like me? Can I see mentors? So, you know, we need to get, you know, in terms of grassroots and graduates, we need to get diverse um, candidates through the door, but we also need to ensure that they feel like they belong, they feel welcome, and they can see themselves really progressing up the ladder. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And Zashan, I can see you've got, uh, you're dying to add something here. So please, please do join in. <laughs> just to compliment again what you were saying, these are uncomfortable um, conversations and actually recognising that they are uncomfortable, but then also, you know, the proverbial elephant in the room, Renee Brown has a wonderful turn of phrase uh, and we applies here into making. She says, I'm not here to be right, I'm here to do right. And just going in with that kind of humble, vulnerable mentality to say, listen, we're trying to unpack such a complex thing. And, and just, you, you don't have to have all the answers. Ask people, say, listen, I don't know the answer here. I'm offering a perspective. Again, and that's being inclusive of a diverse perspective. I'm not saying I am right, whether you're uh, uh, in the C-suite or, or anybody else at any of the, of the level of the hierarchy as well. So, again, that's just a simple human tool to, to get the conversation started uh, and that's the first step doing one thing and mm. um, Siobhan passing the mic on to you for me the very first step is data um, if you have diversity initiatives in your organization that's fantastic but if you have initiatives but you don't know the ethnicity of your workforce um, and you don't collect this data then how do you know if any of those diversity initiatives work how do you even know that you've got the right initiatives? Um, so for me, kind of before you um, kind of are reactive and perhaps book a workshop or um, kind of put together something that so you feel like you're doing something, it's really important to actually have that really thorough internal look at the company and really identify, like you would if you were, um, asking any other large questions of your business growth or the direction of your company, you would really drill down into the evidence and try and understand what the problems are and where the areas of improvement work need to be. And then you would invest the money. And for me, that's very much how I approach diversity at White Hat as well, is kind of really building those foundations of data collection monitoring and accountability for that data amongst the amongst the leadership is that the first thing you can do and also it links to the final thing we're going to talk about with business case if you have that data and you have that evidence to start with that makes it much um kind of more evidence driven those conversations rather than purely emotive conversations where you're kind of just hoping that you can change someone's hearts and mind. If you have the data and you have the evidence, it gives you a new level of structure to that conversation. Can I just say something just to add on to what Siobhan has rightly said? I think I totally agree. And I think it's so important that organisations have got data. But I think the issues that lots of organisations are having is that there's no data. You know, um, we use acronyms, you know, the acronym BAME, you know, as catch-all, catch you know, box tick boxes and I think the problem is how do you identify the individuals within your organization you know I don't I don't I hate the word BAME you know because what black 
Asian, minority, ethnic. It's a case of it's white against everyone else. So if you have, I don't know, if you're going through your data within an organization and you're trying to see the types of people you have there, you tick vain, what does that mean? Does it mean? How do you then go through and say, I've got X amount of black people, X amount of brown people and so on? So I think the problem is, you know, rightly so what Siobhan said, there's just a lack of data out there, you know, um, and it's a case of, you know, there's lots of work to be done. Sure. Um, so Sean? Just to, to touch on that both as well, and there's, there's two kind of um, data sets. One is your internal current team, um, mm. and you can use, uh, there's numerous different tools uh, that you could use for, you know, salary camps, internal surveys, but then also your applicant data um, yeah. that are applying for your jobs. And we'll touch on it as we go through kind of the recruitment process, but it's understanding kind of your funnel in, uh, as Siobhan said, and then also kind of the stages of your recruitment process, what's the drop off like at each stage for those mm. different uh, diverse characteristics, and then also how they actually make it into your, to your company. So you can measure both those, and then go from there to set out what you want to improve and why. And that leads on to the business case as well. So hopefully just adding some, some, some more depth to, to what Chikare and Siobhan have mentioned there. Sure. And that ties us really nicely um, into our, our next topic or, or section on the agenda. So looking at the recruitment process um, and how what we can actually do here um, to improve diversity, as you said, both in that funnel and then moving into the workplace. Um, so first to start with, going to look at sourcing. Um, we've all spoken here a bit about gathering that data and how that's so important to understand your applicant pool. Um, but Siobhan, I want to pass the mic to you to begin with. I know you mm -hmm. do some really interesting work with contextualizing that data um, once you do have it at White Hat. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yep, so White Hat has um, been around for kind of three and a half years now, nearly four years, I think. Um, and we've kind of really trying to um, revolutionise how um, young people and kind of um, people at the early stage of their career can get into companies. And we do that very much through apprenticeships. So we both recruit the apprentices for the organisations and then we also deliver all of their education for the sort of 12 to 18 months that they are on their apprenticeship. And we do that in business, finance and tech, anything from accountancy right through to software engineering. Um, and how we focus on sourcing is very much embeddedness within the community. So we have a dedicated youth outreach team that work with schools right from year 10. Um, so when young people start their GCSEs, um, right through to when they're leaving and maybe decide to come to White Hat to be an apprentice. Um, we have about over 200 clients including your Googles and your Facebooks and your Santander's but also startups from as small as 10 people and we also have charity and mission partnerships as well to really challenge ourselves to reach the young people who have kind of the greatest barriers to overcome in order to get into the workplace so we have a um, partnership with a charity called Drive Forward who um, support care leavers into employment and we also work um, with the job centres all over London to help young people who are currently not in education training or employment to get that first step. And that's for 16 to 24 year olds. Once they apply to us, our platform is completely bespoke with their needs in mind. We've designed and built it and it has some really important contextualization features. So it means that when our clients are looking at the digital profiles of a young person, they really understand their achievements in context. 
So an example would be um, our academic outperformer status. Now you get this status on our system. Um, if you fell within the top 30% of your secondary school for English and maths. So it's not necessarily based on the grade you got because some young people go to schools where everybody gets A's and A stars and B's because the school is super high performing. Whereas other young people might have got a B and that was one of the best grades in the entire year. Um, but the employer can't necessarily see how hard they had to work for that B and the odds that they had to overcome. So our system tries to level the playing field there. We also have contextual flagging, and this is for young people that live within the 20% most deprived neighbourhoods in England, young people who've been eligible for free school meals, young people who've had refugee status, have been in local authority care, or have caring responsibilities themselves. So our employers can see those flags as well and understand just how hard that young person has had to work, um, whilst they might not have played a really expensive musical instrument or some of those social capital um, things that very much come with privilege, the things that they have achieved are even more impressive when you understand what they've had to overcome. Um, so that's very much how we think about sourcing and contextualization. We then have a dedicated youth talent team who prep every candidate before they sit in front of any of our employers to really give them a chance to shine and do their best. Um, so yeah, anybody who wants to kind of think, challenge themselves to think, do I only, do I only have a graduate scheme? Um, are we kind of only letting people with degrees or people with um, years and years of experience into this organisation to consider another entry route? We'd be happy to discuss that at White House. That's awesome, Siobhan. Um, really, really interesting what you guys are doing and how far um, you take things to ensure that young people are given equal opportunities. Um, Chikre Zishan, um, from your perspectives, when you're working with companies who maybe don't have the time, um, maybe they're smaller startups, they just don't have the time to invest in such a um, big piece of work around engaging young people from an early age, if they just need candidates now, um, which I'm sure you hear all the time, they want to have hired someone yesterday. Um, what's your advice for how they can attract diverse talent through that sourcing pipe uh, tunnel? Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, you know, I guess there's lots of ways that they can actually do that. I think first and foremost, they need to educate their hiring managers. That's first and foremost, you know. I think it's important that um, hiring managers, in-house recruiters understand the importance of um, recruiting you know, diverse candidates and know where to go for them. That's, that's the first thing. Um, try and use diverse job boards, you know, I guess, you know, they're not that, we don't really have that many in the UK, but there are quite a few coming up. So I think it's quite important to ensure that, you know, you go to places where you can attract this diverse talent. Um, you know, I really believe in if you are going to a recruitment agency, try and use recruitment agencies who have got um, diverse and inclusion high on their agenda in terms of sourcing diverse candidates. I think that's so, so um, in, in, important. Um, you know, and I think for young people or even for experienced hires coming to an organisation, it's so important that your um, interview panel is, is diverse, you know. You know, try not to have the same type of people, you know, um, interviewing. It's a case of, you know, you have a diverse candidate and this person can't see themselves within the organisation to so try and ensure that the panel is um, diverse, you know, and I think, you know, really do ensure that your website is representative of your values. You know, it's a case of you want to, to show um, the world that 
you know, you are, your organisation is diverse, it's inclusive, and the person will feel like they belong there. So it's just not getting into the organisation. It's also feeling that you belong there and that you can actually, you know, rise to the next level. So I think that's really, really, really important. And I think I'll say education and training. I think, you know, never be afraid to ask for training. Never be afraid to say, you know something, I just don't know. So get training. You know, there's lots of, um, there's diversity inclusion training you can get. I do a training course whereby um, I teach hiring managers how to recruit diversely as well. Um, one thing I missed out was your 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 adverts try and ensure that your adverts are written inclusively as well i think that's really really important i know i could see the sean is, is shaking his head um you know but i just i just feel sometimes when um you look at job descriptions they just they're not inclusive at all so just try and ensure that they're written in, you know inclusively and just educate yourself get training and never be afraid to ask for help yeah on that there's um uh, just on the inclusive um adverts there's a couple of Tools. One is Textio, which is quite expensive but great, and another one there's a, um, I think it's called Catfield Gender. I've got it as a bookmark. Basically, it just reads um, your adverts and just basically picks out the words which are hugely uh, genderized or, or, or have um, kind of biases within them. Um, the question, Kelly, was around kind of sourcing, and often what I found, uh, and to complement what Chikoro was saying, it's the expectation of what hiring managers want. Oh, so I need somebody with a first from Oxford in computer science. And my first question is, why? So what we actually want to challenge is the capability rather than just the qualification. Actually, you don't need somebody with a first from Oxford. What you need is somebody who's able to solve this problem. And so what my job as a recruiter was, was to, to be honest, make my job as easy as possible by opening up the search universe. And guess what? That's being inclusive as well. So what I challenge the hiring managers like, that's not what we want. Tell me what's broken that needs fixing. And so I really try to get under the, the, the crux of what the problem is, and then it's my job to find the solution. With all due respect, they have the hiring manager has a perspective on what the solution is, but it's my job to get a diverse pool of candidates to, to, to present that. Now, when it comes to a practical, I need the candidate yesterday. Sourcing, um, filling up the funnel, so to say, is, is, is like with any sales, is inbound and outbound. If you are a, a, a company with large, uh, a value proposition that attracts diverse people, loads of people are just going to apply to you. If you're a small startup, not a large value proposition, people don't really know even who you are or what you do, then you're going to have to go out to them. And so that's going to be timely and expensive, um, mm. not just in terms of cost, but time as well. So if you do need to do that and go out, um, you can partner with recruitment agencies or communities or, or specialists like ourselves on this panel and just say, where do I go? What do I do? It's not an easy, quick win. But I highly recommend doing a bit of both because actually the bigger you get, if you go and outreach and then actually hire great people in and get them to be your ambassadors and evangelists and, and get them to... to go to their network, you've got the power of referral of the network, and then so you've got the inbound coming in. And there's no exact science to it, but work on the inbound and outbound and think about it like that um, and build from there really. Awesome. Thanks, Sushan. Um, that's a really great point that you make. Um, I, I used to get it all the time when I was in tech hiring. We want a first-class comp sci grad from Oxford, Cambridge, any top red brick university. But actually, uh, 
software engineering and computer science is one of those trades where it is based on your skill level and you do have technical tests you do need to make sure those tests are inclusive i used to often get hiring managers that would tell me majority of candidates fail and when you ask them how many of your current team have actually passed this test the answers were uh, not so many so it is making sure that actually it's reflective of your organization you're not putting barriers to entry you are being inclusive in the recruitment process as well which leads us in nicely to our next section and um, looking at the recruitment process and how we can ensure that's inclusive um, so Siobhan I'm going to pass that over to, to you to begin with. Yeah I, I couldn't um, agree more on that point and you can use your apprenticeship levy to train people in these things so with computer science also, by the time somebody's finished the degree, often there's a coding language that they actually have never used or like tech is moving so fast that it, it doesn't necessarily um, provide the most applied and relevant education. Whereas you can do a software engineering apprenticeship and you're, you're kind of growing that talent yourself and the government levy pays for that qualification. And um, so it doesn't cost the individual or the company in that sense. Um, in terms of like, I just wanted to also point out that um, what you said, kind of if somebody's in a smaller company and they want to do these things, um, they, they can also just use this service. So our candidate pool is um, just over 50% from ethnic minority backgrounds. And as Chika Ray said, it's important to be able to drill into that. So about 20% are from black backgrounds, about 20% are from Asian backgrounds, and about 10% are from mixed race backgrounds, and the other 50% are from white backgrounds. About 37% have a contextual flag, which is one of those socioeconomic indicators that I told you about. And just over 50% are female. So any employer that wants to recruit from that candidate pool just comes to White Hat and we provide that shortlist. So we do all of that work for them. They, they don't have to actually do that outreach work themselves. And then on kind of the recruitment process, um, I think it really speaks to what Sashon was saying as well. Um, we give employers a different matrix for measuring potential. So we really don't kind of put too much weight on prior academic attainment because all of the research in the UK says that the biggest predictor of your grades is your parental income. It's got absolutely nothing to do with your natural aptitude at birth. Um, privilege plays such a big role in the UK on the grades that you will attain throughout your time at school. So instead we recruit on um, five competencies which include things like grit, resilience, conscientiousness, intent, how much does the individual want it, um, interpersonal skills and communication. Um, and by looking at those things we feel that you can more holistically assess what an individual is going to bring to your company. Um, so that's kind of what really shapes our processes. Um, but yeah, that's us. I'll, I'll let somebody else answer the question now. Um, that's really awesome. Thanks, Siobhan. I'm just conscious of time. Um, I know we could talk uh, about this topic um, for a while. So, so much interesting um, debate, conversation and discussion. Um, but we'll move on um, and we'll look at next in terms of the existing workforce and inclusivity. So say you have managed to find those individuals, you do have that diverse talent coming through, how do you then make them feel inclusive? Um, and also, what if your existing workforce um, isn't very diverse or inclusive? Um, if it's not inclusive, should you be hiring diverse talent or should you start by tapping? 
tackling inclusivity first. And, and Chika, I'm going to pass this on to you to, to begin with. Lots of questions, yeah, but, but start wherever you I feel is best. <laughs> I can imagine, actually. Um, you know, I think, I definitely think it's important that organisations hire diverse talent, regardless of whether their organisations are diverse or not. I think it's just really important. But what I would say is that, you know, um, training and education is key. I think um, I've spoken to so many people recently um, within organisations and, you know, they've reached out. And, you know, I think I like to say that when I speak to a lot of these organisations, I always say to them, this is a safe safe um, place let's have a discussion let's have an honest discussion and what a lot of them have said have said is um you know they, they a lot of them have never thought about you know they know in diversity inclusion is important and as i said before you know for, for a lot of organizations diversity inclusion was, was you know race was never you know never really raised it raised its head and you know it's important that you know, organisations know and understand how to recruit diversity across the board, including race. And as I said before, race is it's one of those topics that a lot of people find so difficult to talk about. So I think the key thing is let's have an open, honest conversation. Um, let's talk about, you know, what you find difficult, you know, you know, let's talk about race. So in organisations, there's some organisations that, that don't even have any black or brown people so it's a case of how do I make sure that these people who are coming in feel that they are included and obviously feel that they belong and feel that they you know they they, they you know that they they can see themselves you know at senior senior um position so I think really training is key I think education is key um as I said before you know I train on allyship you know what it means to be an ally the importance of ally you know, I say to people, you know, try and read. There's so many really great books that we can talk about later that you can read about as well, you know, about um, anti-racism, about race. I think that's really, really important. Um, you know, but I just think organisations need to have the conversation, first and foremost, amongst themselves so that they can ensure that, you know, they are attracting and retaining diverse talent. Because I think the, the issue is, that hasn't been happening, you know, and it, it's just it's just so difficult to for a lot of organisations to actually, you know, know where to start when it comes to um, hiring and making sure that this talent within the business is, you know, really nurtured and they feel welcome and they feel that they belong um, on there. But I, I would definitely say, you know, training is key. So, you know, the whole allyship training, I've got some things written down as well because I just didn't want to... Um, forget what I was going to say I'm unconscious bias trainers acknowledging that's really really good anti-racism training um and obviously attracting and retaining diverse talent that's another training that I've found is being um quite popular so I do those training courses and attracting and retaining diverse talent has been really really popular so I, I definitely think education is key and you know organizations just need to to keep educating themselves and ensuring that you know everything their platform is representative of you know what they're trying to achieve. Sean, over to you. Um, briefly, uh, and, and again, it's almost like we, we planned this, but what Chikare is saying, just to follow up on that, to, to have those conversations. And what I found when I worked at the BBC and in the government, there were diversity groups. Uh, and as a cis, heterosexual, brown male, I was invited to the, the BME uh, group, actually. And then I was also invited. And I just went along to a few other groups. And what I found was they were, ironically, working in isolation and so they were coming up with these ideas and then going out and almost kind of 
putting their arm on and going out to the rest of the organization, trying to champion their cases and saying, this is what we should do. And I took a step back and I was like, this is, mm. isn't working because everyone is trying to, with the same objective, but is actually not being inclusive with the diverse different groups. And so uh, I had some thinking about this and actually, so how do you start having those conversations internally? Mm. Because a diversity group has two facets to it. One is the inclusive safe space where people from that, that, that um, identify with that characteristic come in and it's exclusive for them, where they are able to, in a safe space, talk about their experiences and actually there is where you formulate what the problems are that are happening internally and that is without any debate, you don't have to justify it. That safe space of those people that identify with those uh, characteristics have identified them. And then you've got the second part of that safe diversity group, which actually is inclusive of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So the output from those problems goes into those uh, that's that more diverse group, and you go, right, here's the problems we've identified internally that happen here at this company. How should we solve them? And the reason why that works is essentially you're inclusive of diverse perspectives, and you don't, when people feel that they've been part of the solution, you don't have to sell it to them. And so you don't have to armor up, and it doesn't have to be a, who shouts the loudest and but and if that works in harmony multiple times you're going to have people that are just going to be across all those diversity groups you can have exec sponsors or whatever and and, and we could talk uh, actually i'll keep it short because we're, we're stuck for time but using that premise of how to have those internal conversations and surface them and then going back to the i'm here to be right not uh, i'm here to uh, do right not be right type mentality mm-hmm. is how you can start opening yeah. up the conversation and, and on that piece, um, in terms of time, if anyone does have questions, do drop them into the chat and we will get through to them um, at the end. Um, but Siobhan, keen to get your, your thoughts on this topic as well. Um, I think there's so much you can do with kind of internally when it comes to culture, values, existing workforce. But the two things I'd really point, pull out that I think are really impactful are leadership and management and ownership. So managers, especially like frontline and middle managers, have a, such a gatekeeper to how individuals experience your company. Um, so they really have to be on board with what inclusive leadership and management looks like um, because HR could be doing a fantastic job um, in theory, but if every manager and leader doesn't know how to live it, then that mm. won't be the experience of your underrepresented staff. So if you're going to train anyone first, I would start with your leadership and management. Um, and then the second point on ownership is, again, lots of companies currently hiring a diversity and inclusion lead, which is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that person almost needs to act as a consultant to every, every department in the organization but that responsibility for inclusion, for living it every day, sits mm. with every single individual. So how yeah. are you fostering that sense of ownership from one of your frontline front devs um, right through to um, one of your operations managers, um, right through to kind of somebody in finance? How do mm. they really understand what their role in inclusion is? Um, because they're going to have more daily interaction with colleagues than your diversity and inclusion lead. So it can't just sit with them. Awesome. Thanks I, I really do. Sorry. I really do agree Go with on. what she's saying. I, I really do think it has to start from the top. And I think 
the issue is people at the top table are all the same. They all look the same and they all think the same. So they really, we really do need the buy-in of senior leaders, really. Um, and better still, if there's diversity at the top, because that will make our job easier. But um, definitely agree with what Siobhan and Amzashan have said so far. And I think there's, you know, I think it's an exciting time. I think this is not bad time. I think we're talking about it and I think change is coming. And I think we're in a better position now than we were in last year. And I keep telling people this, people, clients I talk to all the time, you know, it's been horrible, the year and everything else, but I just think change is coming. And I'm just so glad that we're having conversations like this. Thanks, Chikri. This ties in really nicely um, to the final piece of our agenda, um, looking at making the business case. And um, so... A lot, referring back to the poll at the beginning, quite a lot of the, the people attending today mentioned that there were some talks of initiatives or some early initiatives, but there were, wasn't real change happening in the organisation. We've touched on their senior leadership, getting their buy-in. Um, what are your pieces of advice, whether maybe you have some buy-in, they're talking about it, but there's not much action, or it's not even on the agenda at the moment? Um, I'm going to pass it to Zashan to start with. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, tee off here, um, and so I'll be frank. DE and I isn't for everybody. Um, Matt Wells has got a question in the Q and A. Is it worth trying to build a more diverse workforce if you haven't created an equal and inclusive culture? No, it's not because um, you're basically going to bring people in into an environment which is not going to be uh, one of belonging for them. So ask yourself, ask your leaders, ask yourself, are you honestly and authentically about it or is this a performative thing? Uh, are your decision-making leaders um, in it to, to actually be inclusive of diverse or is it a PR marketing performative thing? Um, question, we've got 49, 50 odd panelists here. How many of those people are exec leaders in your companies? Mm -hmm. Was it an HR or people or a talent person? Why, do, why are they not on this webinar? Do they not care or have they delegated it or outsourced it? Actually, it's important, but not so important for me because product and sales is actually what they care about. So are you, as the people person, the talent person, the one who has to build, the, build uh, the, the business case? You're the one who's going to be pushing this boulder up the hill. What do they point and go, do it faster or do it you know, this way or that way? Why are they not helping you push that boulder? Why are they not actually carrying it as well? So it's judge your leaders uh, by their actions not their words so if you are having to make a business case to justify why this is important then just stop and ask yourself that's a very that's a flag right should i actually having to be justified this in these times right um and and hold them to a standard so you know as i said dni used to sit over there it was important but not urgent but now it's important and urgent and so when it comes to building a business case and like how did I make it important and urgent and actually link it to product and sales and success, uh, I started to think about it and I landed with inclusivity leads to diversity, leads to innovation, leads to success. So inclusivity leads to diversity of perspective, which by proxy means you limit your blind spots, which therefore mean that you are able to innovate further which gives you a competitive advantage. And if you have that competitive advantage, you are gonna succeed by whatever metric of success your company chooses, whether it's revenue, whether it's market share, whatever it might be. Ergo, inclusivity leads to success as well. Now, what Chico mentioned earlier, Siobhan's mentioned earlier, visual representation is absolutely important. 
right? Because if people can see people like themselves or people that identify with characteristics like themselves, they're going to feel more um, likely or wanting to, to, to be involved in that organization. However, if your exec leaders are not being inclusive of these diverse people in the key decision-making, then it's performative, right? Then you are basically got an exec team which all think the same because they've got the same perspective. They're not inclusive of your wonderful diverse workforce, not just characteristics, but perspectives. And so therefore they're opening themselves up to blind spots. Now, Jennifer Kim wrote a wicked uh, blog post on this the other day. I'm not going to read it all. I was potentially going to, but find her on LinkedIn, find her on, on, on Twitter. And, um, and, and she basically just said, you have the right to not do it, but it's your choice and your funeral. And I really, really like that. Yeah, it's a really interesting point that, that you raised there, Zishan. There's so much research out there um, that shows the more diverse your leadership team, you know, the better success you as a business have overall in the long term um, and outcompete um, competitors. Um, if you have a diverse product, why would you not have a diverse team that reflects that in terms of your customer base? It goes back to, I think it was one of the iPhones um, that was built and it was an all-male design team and when females used it, it gave them hand problems. If you had a woman in that team, that would have been solved. So it's looking at things like that. Um, but Chikare, do you have anything you want to add here? Just conscious of yeah. time, we've got a few questions yeah, definitely. coming I'll, through as well. Yeah, really, really okay. I just want to say to you all that this is not going away guys you know this conversation not going away um and there's no point you know putting up barriers that won't um you know about against recruiting diverse talent and i think this has gone on for too long now and it's a case of you all have to start thinking about next action what do i do how do i recruit more diversely you know i want to be able to tell my two young black sons okay who were british born that they have got a chance in the world uh, as good as everyone else, okay? And I, you know, I've always banged on about, you know, being able to recruit diversely. I've always made sure that I try my best to ensure that my talent pool of candidate is as diverse as ever. And I just think we all need to start having that conversation. And I feel if you feel that you're not comfortable about having that conversation, let's have a chat. Let's get into some training courses. Because I think as a black woman with black sons, who will be in the workforce in the next couple of years, I don't want them to go through what we've all had to go through, what I've gone through and what through lots of people have gone through. But let's just have a conversation and let's, you know, let's really get this thing going. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're, we're going to jump um, forward a little bit more now and we'll get into some questions in a minute. Um, but before we jump into those, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Workable. Workable is the world's leading hiring platform. We give in-house recruiters and hiring teams more ways to find more qualified candidates and help them work together to identify and hire the, the best talent. Uh, since 2012, more than 20,000 companies have used Workable to hire over a million candidates to date. Diversity and inclusion is very important to us. Um, our product was built with inclusivity in mind. We are later this year releasing some features such as anonymized screening and DNI surveys and reporting. Um, so if you want to find out more, please do let us know. But moving on to Q&A, um, I've got a really interesting question come through, very relevant to today's world as well. But in terms of developing DNI um, programs, initiatives, how do you do that in a remote environment? 
Who would like to kick off? Sashan, please go ahead. Uh, I don't think it's much different to, mm. um, to what you're doing in face because it goes to what Siobhan said, you start with the data. Um, so you would measure, do an internal poll, you would do um, uh, data from your, your inbound and your pipeline of candidates, and from there you would come up with a scientific method and a, and a methodology to say actually our theory is we need to hire more X, uh, we need to increase diversity of Y group, whatever it is, uh, and here's how we go about it. I want to, um, you know, what we're trying to do is trying to solve the complex, this is a hugely complex uh, challenge uh, that kind of infiltrates every facet, facet of society and has done since we um, actually had civilization. So, and, and it can become overwhelming. I saw uh, Sarah Wood, who was ex-CEO of uh, Unruly Talk, um, and she talked about how she, she increased diversity within her company. And she just said, just start with one thing and mm. keep it simple. And that's the, that's the thing. I wrote a blog about it. That actually, that was a bit that I was just like, oh, that's so obvious. Let me, I can't fix it all. And that's what blocked me because I was like, I have to solve this whole problem. I was like, no, let me use the data. Let me work with uh, our founders and our exec team to identify and, and prioritize. Here's the biggest problem that we want to solve. And then we said, actually, and then we did use an OKR, and it became a company OKR, where we said the objective is to increase X by X characteristic by Y. And it was a very ambitious target. And so our key results mapped that out. How are we going to go and do it? And we had a project plan. And it was ambition, but, and, and we thankfully we got there, and we iterated in the end. But if you, if, if you're, if you don't succeed at first, so what? Like, have that courage to actually just go listen we're going to do this and we're going to roll with it and actually this is huge this is the first time we're doing it and we're not going to get it right but we're going to do right and and go on from there with that mentality right and, and chikare you were nodding along there um when zishan mentioned you didn't feel it was any different in a remote environment mm-hmm. um please uh, do do elaborate o- on this yeah i just think it's Definitely not different at all. There's no difference at all. But I think the issue that a lot of people have is, you know, being able to do it. I think that's that's a problem. And I think, you know, because, you know, race is definitely in the mix, it, it, it makes for an uncomfortable task. But I think I go back to what Siobhan said. I think it's data, data, data. I think once we have the data, then we can make important decisions to actually dictate where we're at and what, what we need to do next. So I think you know, let's start getting the data going, you know, and I think that's where we're lacking, you know, that data. And I think that whole catch-all BAME word needs to, you know, we need to somehow get rid of that word and, you know, try and somehow categorise us into the categories that we should be in because otherwise it's so difficult to know how many people you have in an organisation. If we all tick the BAME box, you know, how many black people do you have? How many brown people do you have? You know, how many Asian people do you have? So, um, you know, let's get the data going and let's get rid of the BAME word. Yeah, sure. in-house and at the People Collective, uh, we do this yeah. now, design those surveys. Um, yeah. Workable is working on a feature for, mm-hmm. I know there's one for the US diversity, but they're uh, building one and I think it's going to be released later on this year as a priority um, for diversity uh, survey for candidates. Um, um, you know, you can use things internally like PCON or, or, or you could do just a simple Google, type form, Google form or a type form to, to get those. The key is actually 
as, as Chico and I were saying, what question do you ask? Are you X, Y, Z? What are those X, Y, Z? You don't have to solve that on your own. Reach out to us, any of us yeah. on, the, on the panel here, um, yeah. and we can help you with that as well. Sure. And, and Siobhan, um, from your perspective and at, at White Hat, um, obviously you focus on apprenticeship schemes in a remote environment. How do you make these young people feel included when they've maybe never worked um, in a company before, never had to do things like Zoom calls? How do they feel included like they, they can be part of the company, they know who to go to and, and so on? I think the great, the, one of the great things about being new to the workforce is that you also don't really have any prior expectations. So you're probably a bit more malleable than um, some of us who have maybe really missed that office culture because that's what we've been used to for a really long time. And um, so our apprentices have been incredibly adaptable, actually. Um, lots of our companies have gone ahead with their apprenticeship programs as usual, regardless of the remote environment and we're certainly not seeing any disruption to productivity and um, so I think it's really just thinking about what is possible rather than reminiscing about what you would have, would have liked to do um, because it's still a life-changing opportunity for a candidate regardless um, in terms of things we've done at White Hat to make it even better we've really invested in our community offer so we have a dedicated um, community team and they very much work with apprentices when they're on program and we have mentoring programs, we have virtual peer support programs, uh, we have virtual socials, we have a dedicated hub that they can um, find resources, connect with each other on. Um, so especially for apprentices who might be at a startup, and so they are the only apprentice at that startup, it enables them to make friends with apprentices at other companies. Um, and some of, one of the feedback I often get from our apprentices is that they met their best friends. Um, that were also doing white hat apprenticeships, but they might have been at one company and their friends at a completely different company. Um, so yeah, really focus on, focus on what the possible is and people surprise you if you trust them and you make every effort to support them, they will surprise you with what they can achieve during this climate. Mm -hmm. Perfect, thank you. Um, we have one question um, that's come through. We've got another minute left, um, but I'm sure we can run over by a, a couple of minutes if, if we need to. Um, we've got a, a question from one of our attendees. Um, I'll read it out now, and then Zashan, um, if you would like to, to start with answering it. Bear with me one second. So I'm the head of HR in a small startup in India in the genetic diagnostic space. Um, and one of the founders is an active ally and partner to a non-binary lesbian child. I myself identify as gay. We have tried hard over the last year to build inclusive, inclusivity into policies, practices, recruitment, and we are aware it's something that we need to work on more. Um, focus is that with the leadership so invested in inclusion, I'm unsure how to authentically um, the message has been, how authentically the message has been accepted. Um, can you recommend ways of getting a check on that? Yeah, uh, Ravi, first of all, thank you for sharing that. It's a, a great question and, and shows so much kind of vulnerability and challenge. And what I would say is your gut instinct of saying, you know, my folk, uh, I'm unsure how authentically the message has been accepted or is there a pretense not wishing to alienate the leadership, right? So I think the way to approach that potentially is 
is, is almost by playing a little bit naive and just going, hey, I'm not sure what it is, and approaching them either one-to-one -one or as a group, and so actually, how, what, first of all, identifying what, is there, is that a subjective feeling, or is there actually evidence and actions that they're doing, i.e. they're not turning up to events, they're not actually filling up um, their teams with diverse candidates, whatever, jot that down to start with, and so at least you're clarifying it in your mind, is it a subjective Thing, or actually is there actually uh, evidence of, of the fact that they're not buying in and then give them feedback either as individuals or as a slightly larger group and just go hey I've, I've noticed this I just want to have a conversation with you about it are we being authentic about it or is you know and then start the conversation and, and to, to do it like you said before is so difficult to just uh, um, kind of uh, uh, step over that breach going into it on my vulnerable and just say hey I've noticed some things and I'm just wondering if right and then hopefully that kind of safe space that to facilitate that conversation will bridge that gap between what you think is an assumption that they're not really buying it or, or whether they actually are and actually you're being facilitated to have that conversation hopefully that makes sense Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Just conscious of time, all, um, we've come to the end of our session. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. I can't thank you enough, Sashan, Chikare, Siobhan, um, for taking part today. Um, we may have a couple more questions that have come through. What we'll do is we'll connect with you offline um, and get some answers, and then we'll send those out as well. Um, so thank you so much once again um, for taking part in the panel today. Thank you to all our attendees for joining um, as mentioned if you want to find out anything more about workable feel free to get in touch um, we'll share um, Chikare, Zishan and Siobhan's um, contact details in terms of whatever um, you guys want to give out um, so you can get in touch with them directly if you want to find out more about the initiatives um, that they're running Thanks for tuning in be sure to hit subscribe wherever you are to stay up to date with our new episodes. And in the meantime, head on over to the Workable blog at resources.workable.com and check out our vast resource library. And if you're looking for a better way to hire, just reach out. We'd love to help.